parfait. Now we know somebody's going to meet Diego Maradona's Argentina in the final. Is it going to be uh, a royal vengeance game for England for the, the hand of God or is it going to be West Germany, a replay of the 86 final? Well, we're here today to find out the semi-final between England and West Germany and uh, beforehand there's just a bit of an inquest going on in the English press around Bobby Robson's tactics for the Cameroon game. Bobby claims that changing to the flatback four has pretty much uh, saved them in that game. Terry Butcher, of course, made way, which is a strange one, considering he would have been the all-reliable for Bob. Paul Parker went on Mia, sort of... Paul Parker's just their man of the tournament so far, isn't he? Like, taking the right wing back, drops back in, and, and you know, marks Rob, uh, Roger Mia out of it to, to sort of save it. Trevor Stevens went into sort of right full and did a relatively good job there. But the talk here is that Bobby is going to go back to having a sweeper. There's a bit of concern about Mark Wright he apparently had to get, I think it was seven or six stitches uh, above his eye after the Cameroon game. And John Barnes also misses out. So are they going to be as well set up to, to play that sweeper? A lot of the English and Irish press, particularly the Irish press, because they, they can be a little bit harsher at this point, they, they think England are just so poorly equipped. Dave, I think you've been banging that drum, actually, that England were poorly equipped to, to probably play that. I don't think Mark Wright is the most natural sweeper in the world. I think, it, I think it's more unusual that so many other teams that, the tournament are playing sweepers, for instance, you know, the Cameroonians or uh, I think Yugoslavia were as well. And it's, you know, they're, they're set up with an actual sweeper who actually plays sweeper at, at club level, whereas England, I don't think, have the same personnel. Although, as Turlock pointed out in the previous, um, in the previous round, Paul Parker was actually playing sweeper for, for QPR at the time and he got slotted in at, at right wing backs. I guess it's, uh, it's more Robbie, Bobby Robson's view i guess of a, of a sweeper system which is more of a defensive reactive thing than a the holistic all-around attacking system that, that might have been employed by other countries absolutely and he plans to do that to deal with klinsman and voller largely so you're, you're bang on there to be fair one of the main concerns for england coming into this game is just that they might have a bit less in the tank after the cameroon game lineker says basically about that game that you know the long game in, in the heat in naples that he lost a stone he says half a stone during penalties which if it wasn't so early in the podcast, I'd be stopping here for the Lineker shitting himself remix song. Essentially, though, Germany are pretty happy, and Beckenbauer particularly is pretty happy to be facing England. Again, having talked about mind games in the last podcast, I don't know if that's what Beckenbauer is trying to do a bit here. He, he essentially said he's delighted not to have to face Cameroon because they're a bit unpredictable. And then sort of in a, I wouldn't say passive-aggressive, but in a somewhat demeaning way, he goes about talking about how England are still good uh, and... You know, not that they're a worse team, but just that they're more familiar. Uh, but they seem they seem like they're pretty happy. He does, although, admit after the tournament that he was so so nervous at this point, um, just because he knew he was going to be to be finishing up after the tournament with Germany. So England do start quite well, uh, culminating in, in a couple of chances for for Paul Gascoigne. Uh, one where he essentially spots Ilner miles off his line. And rifles one in from just around the halfway point. And we're going to talk so much about Gascoigne in this game. But I just wanted to get on to this part first because it's one of those... He's just one of those unpredictable on and off the field, which um, I think is always labelled to him. But you forget what unpredictable on the field can lead to in things like this sometimes. He just 
just these absolutely outrageous shots that he tries from anywhere on the biggest stage. And yeah, essentially, Ilner does quite well, actually, to get back. He tips it onto the crossbar and it bounces over. And, and just a few minutes later, Gascoigne once again forces another great save from Ilner. A corner is pretty much cleared quite scruffily to the edge of the box. And uh, Gaza half volleys it with Ilner again having, having to push it out. And in the first half, England are having a lot of success. Germany are, are, are going to be pretty disappointed with that first half performance. But they really do come on in the second half. They come alive a lot more here. Beckenbauer's obviously got a word. Uh, they have a couple of decent attempts. Get a pretty big slice of luck, though, around about 50 minutes. Or I think it's around the hour mark, actually. It's a free kick for Bremer. It's rolled to him. He, he goes to smash it. Paul Parker comes charging out as a good committed defender like Paul Wood. Tries to block it. It smashes off him, loops perfectly up and over Shilton and goes in. So a massive slice of luck for the Germans, or, or I suppose a bad luck for England, who you would probably argue, I think Dave, you made it quite clear in the Cameroon game, and I think I made it quite clear even in the Belgian game, that they've had a fair bit of luck so far, England. They probably were due one of these, I suppose. Yeah, I think it's probably, you know, England have gotten away with a few things. Although, I suppose in the Ireland game, they were a bit unlucky. McMahon's mistake, I guess, that led to that led to Sheedy's goal. Maybe if they'd started better in the tournament, they would have proceeded along better lines, maybe. But, uh, yeah, I think it was a, a slice of misfortune. But um, Bremer with the goal, who throughout the tournament, well, throughout his career, was kind of a rocket from left back. He was always seemed to be in the goals. I don't know if there's a kind of a, a word for that sort of... Um, fullback who just seems to score an inordinate, inordinate amount of goals but Bremen is certainly the, the archetypal player of that mould. If anywhere was to invent a word for that kind of position it would be Germany because they came up with Raumdeuter which is space investigator which I love as a, as a <laughs> which is absolutely glorious but you're right yeah I, I think it should be mentioned as well Pierre Shilton has had an excellent round and, and we've kind of only said probably fairly disparaging things um, about... Don't get I'm, started on Shilton. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that the things that were disparaging were probably fair to say, not that they were fairly disparaging about Shilton, but he's, he's had a really good tournament. And actually, I probably should have mentioned in the Italy game, Walter Zenga, or Walter Venga, as I like to call him, had only just overtaken his, his clean sheet record in the World Cup by 17 minutes in the previous tournament. So he generally had gone well in tournaments before this. He's having a pretty good tournament, makes quite a lot of good saves. I think he's really unlucky not to get to this one. Eventually, though, late on in the game, England managed to get themselves back in it. And this is a good example of how dangerous Gary Lineker is and always could be. And I think we... I think, I think people maybe my age or, or probably a little bit younger because I've seen a bit of Lineker, but people a bit younger than me might forget how good he is because of, I mean, essentially because he, he flogs crisps and is on match of the day now more often than not. You know, people might not recognise the brilliance the guy had, but he, he essentially was quiet all game. Cooler had, hadn't really given him a sniff. Paul Parker lofts one big ball up towards him. Cooler basically misjudges it. And Lineker does that brilliant thing of, he's sort of leaning against Cooler. He nudges him and takes it brilliant touch with his thigh all in one kind of move his right thigh he sort of nudges it towards his left foot he just sort of swings his left peg on it and skips into the bottom corner and England are level 10 minutes from time and at this point I mean we've got a few more bits and bobs to talk about before we get to um, where the game is won and lost but we need to talk about Gaz's booking because we've done some foreshadowing on this of how he's booked in uh, the Cameroon game and Sherlock, I suppose I'll start with you on this one. How big a moment was this at the time compared to what it's turned into after? It's in every book. It's in everyone's memory. Uh, before, I think, I, I think before I'd even seen this incident, I'd read about it. Like, 
a million times. It seems to have gone down and meant so much to everyone else after the tournament itself. Yeah, I think the references to, to Gaza's tears um, have got kind of, kind of uh, confused between this event and another event, which we may come on to. But I don't remember, maybe it was because I watched it on RTE probably, but I don't remember Gaza missing the final being particularly a, a topic of, of conversation or, or, you know, taking over the narrative of the match when it actually happened, when he was, when he was booked for what was actually a very reckless challenge, I think, um, and well, well deserving of a yellow card. I know a lot of people feel it was harsh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it possibly something that took on additional texture subsequently. Well, now, let me just talk about the incident itself then, because he essentially is doing that thing that he always did, which is a sort of a wild dribble. You know what I mean? He's not really got control of the ball. And sometimes, like against Belgium, that worked out for him. People fouled him. But on this occasion, he's sort of dribbling past players with no control of the ball whatsoever. One of the German players picks it up and he just recklessly launches, he just launches himself. Gaza himself was given out that it was a dive and he, he reckoned that if the referee had known he was booked and would miss the final, that the referee wouldn't have booked him. I'm not so sure. I think, I think it's kind of the same way that Haji booked when uh, John Aldridge uh, unfortunately dived in near him. <laughs> exactly like that what I did notice watching this back that I didn't notice before is John Motson is actually initially chuckling at the German bench jumping up in anger before he kind of pieces together the cast is getting booked and has got to miss the final and the tonal shift from John Motson is so good because you can hear him just chuckling in the back of his voice before he goes oh no <laughs> yeah. it is a great reaction though it's one of those kind of iconic sort of I don't know maybe it even overshadows it, the, the fact that you know, Motson was just so devastated and kind of conveyed the, the emotion so well. I think it kind of has taken over in people's minds a little bit. I've not heard an England commentator so devastated. Since oh, you have. Steve McLaren in 2016. You beat me to it. You beat me to it. But also, in Gaza's defence, he should have got, you know, the German player went down like this or that or he should have got up or he should have gone on with it. Because to be fair, the German player does stay down and is holding his leg for a while where he probably wasn't caught quite that badly. In Gaza's defence, Bremer absolutely creams him later in the game. Tackle from behind, which considering the red cards we've seen in this tournament, is genuinely a potential red. I'm not sure if, he, if either of you have seen that or remember it, but considering what we saw some Cameroonian players sent off for earlier in the tournament, you could definitely see a red card for that. It was outrageous. Yeah, I, I think there's a huge amount of latitude referees have in, in terms of interpreting and interpreting the intention behind violent fouls at this World Cup. Because, yeah, some of them, some of the red cards at this World Cup are kind of very recognisable to a, a modern audience. You know, you, you consider that a straight red, and some particularly violent ones uh, are only punished with a yellow or not punished at all. Again, I think back to John Aldridge, absolute, absolutely hammering Haji. Well, there's a couple of major chances in extra time I'll just mention here. Across uh, behind the Germans is, is cleared and, and sort of nudged back to Chris Waddle on sort of the left-hand side of the box. He's got Lineker Platt absolutely charging down the middle. He should probably square it, but he goes himself. And, and only for it was such a good hit, you'd be annoyed at him. He, he unleashes a great drive. It smashes the post and it just evades Platt, who, who's doing everything. He chucks his body at it to try and knock in the rebound. Waddle would have gotten Pelters for, or probably did get Pelters for it, to be fair. But in my book, it's actually a crack at attempt, considering he's the keeper beaten. And about a minute later, Germany then go down on the other end of the pitch and hit the post when an attempted uh, cross is blocked out the right-hand side. It comes back to Budwald, who's just outside the box. He takes a touch and he absolutely drives it 
And I don't know what Shilton says about this one. I know Shilton has a, a habit of saying, oh, I would have got it, but he's definitely beaten for this one. It smashes the post and comes back out. And as a result then, no goals in extra time. We are going back to penalties. It starts off then with, with Gary Lineker. He steps up first, converts yet another penalty. He smashes it out to the keeper's right. Uh, Bremer goes to the exact same corner next. He's exercising his demons from Shilton saving one of his penalties uh, previously in, I believe, in 85. Uh, that's what a commentator said anyway. I initially thought 86, but uh, maybe Muddy's got it wrong again. The heat of the moment maybe getting to him. Beardsley steps up. He, he'd actually gotten a bit of flack coming into this tournament, I think, and, and certainly around the tournament, um, but, but seems to have done reasonably well in there. He, he basically places it and checks with the referee, which I found really weird. I was like, everyone else comes up very solemnly and, and has the head down and looks like they're really concentrating or really worried. Beardsley's more concerned about whether it's going to be disallowed or not, but he slams it in top right. That's 2-1 England at the moment, so Lothar Mateus... Uh, steps up next. He hits one absolutely identical to Lineker's. Less in the corner, but a lot harder. And uh, Shilton has no chance of getting to it. If a Platt then, this should be England's first missed penalty. He, he hits a really, really poor attempt. It's a nice height for Ilner, but he doesn't get to it somehow. And again, Motti's laughing away. Platt's laughing away. Ah, 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 we nearly threw away the World Cup there. Karl Heinz Riedlet puts his in the top right, so all penalties converted at this point. And upsets uh, poor Stuart Pearce. He, he places it, walks away, all very, very quick, very uh, unbeardsy-like. He has a really direct run-up, no lingering at all. And he drives it down the middle. And to be fair to him, it more or less hits Ilner's legs uh, or hits Ilner's knees. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys, before I move on to the next one, want to come in and cane poor L. Stuart Pearce here. But I, looking back again and again, I've changed my mind on this a few times, actually. I always thought it was a terrible penalty. But looking back, it, it, I, I suppose it is a terrible penalty because it's saved and the keeper nearly has to get out of the way for it to go in, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's... Um, uh, he, he's a little bit unlucky, but um, I think if he, if he hits that as hard as he intended to, and uh, if he hits it as centrally as he intended to, I think it goes in. Mm. I think it's one of those sort of typical put your laces through and make sure you hit the target sort of penalty. There's no kind of finesse or anything. It's just full power. The way he kind of kicked every football during his career and maybe managed his teams in there after he retired well tone steps up next for the germans and i mean if i talked about platt looking a bit nervous or pierce or whatever it's the most pressurized penalty of the lot of them and he just easily gets up slots it away over the shilton's left and the germans are in front and then finally chris waddle walks i mean he's got his head down <laughs> before he's even coming up to take the penalty um he's Walks away looking at the ground. The camera hair again, it's weighing him down. The camera cuts to Stuart Pierce sitting in the center circle, looking good at like he knows Waddle's about this as well. And he does. Waddle blasts it over to the left, trying to go to the top left corner. And that's Germany true to the final. So, I mean, fair to Waddle, he, he does actually try to place it. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with it going for the top corner and missing it. It's better than, you know, people always say, you know, make sure you hit the target. But I don't agree with that. I think going for the top corner is the best place to put it. It's just the fact that he didn't, he didn't do it. But it was certainly a better penalty than Stuart Pierce, as I thought. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's the two examples of what not to do in each of those situations. Yes, hit the target, but don't do that. And also aim top corner, but don't do that. get up and protest at Gascoigne's last challenge. He has actually, Gascoigne, got a yellow card. Oh, dear. Oh, dear me. He's going to be out of the final if England get there. 
post-match, Bobby Robson chips off, basically saying there has to be a better way than pedos for, uh, <laughs> for these games to be decided. Now, we had a bit of a debate around golden goal and silver goal. Are we going to find out anyone in, in, in here is against penalties? No. Well, not so much, but I think it's, it's easy to forget how controversial penalty shootouts were right up until the 90s. Like up until the 90s, people were talking about, in like the mid-90s, about it being a lottery, it was a circus act, that you know, it was no way to decide serious football games. And, and, it yeah, it's, there, it's sometimes, but it's more or less accepted that it's you know it's it's part of the skills you need if you if you want it's to, science, if you want though, to like go I, far I think if you look through penalty shootouts in major tournaments it's it's usually the more technically gifted side that does well because as I said before if you go for the top corner if you go for you know right in the corner there's a very little chance of the keeper saving it whereas if you're if you're less technically minded and you're just going there to kind of get it on target that's that's when you get into a situation where you miss Calling, calling a penalty shootout a lottery is a, is a commentator's way of filling time, considering we're able to edit and get rid of stuff we say here. If it, you know, it's their way of just, it's a cliched way of, of filling up time as they figure out who's taking what penalty. We've had a literal drawing of, of lots in this tournament. That's a lottery. <laughs> no comparing the two. I mean, to be fair, I, I've talked about Motti and, and how he's, on BBC doing the comments or some of this and he talks about a test of nerves and a test of steel and skill and accuracy and that's what it is you know what I mean Bobby Robson to be fair to him I don't think Bob has said too many outrageously um, controversial things through his whole career I, I imagine this one's kind of easily forgotten because it's such an emotional reaction you know but uh, yeah I, I, I ultimately what are you going to do what else are you going to keep on playing extra time until you know are you going to play an hour and a half of extra time and everybody's dropping to the ground, you know. So well, used to, you can't go and have a replay next Tuesday, right? Because the final's that day. There so. used to be replays. And that, that's obviously not, not feasible in modern football. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's fair enough. It is a, it is a football skills-based competition. But Barry Davis always used to refer to it to the day he retired as a penalty competition because I think that's what it says in the, in the rules. And he was a stickler like for... Yeah, shootout was far too American. Yeah, you'd miss Barry Davis all the same. Just letter of the law, keep it, you know, no referring to lotteries or this or that, you know. I'm trying to think what you could do. Puck fodder? Did you used to do that in school? See who could kick the ball the furthest, whether it goes through? (laughs) There's a great one in cricket. It's been kind of superseded now by the super over, but they used to have a bowl out. So the two teams one player would bowl at no it wasn't one player it was sometimes it was you know five different players bowled unguarded stumps and it happened a few times in irish cups that that games you know, involving teams from opposite ends of the country if they were rained off what they'd do instead was they'd do a bowl out over the phone so one team would, would bowl their bowl their allotted five balls and then call the other team and tell them how they got on which is ripe for abuse, but then maybe not in cricket. <laughs> I always like the, the rugby penalty shootouts. Have you ever seen one of those? It was like, um, uh, I think, a Heineken Cup game like 10 years ago or something. It was Leicester and Cardiff, I think, something like that. They go through the players just like in soccer, but like, um, you know, in rugby, like there's like two or three designated kickers and then you're kind of down to the fat lads. And I think in the end, Cardiff brought up their, their flanker or something. It was about, you know, as, as wide as he is tall trying to take a penalty and he just miserably fails <laughs> yeah no I, th- I think unfortunately for England um, penalty shootouts are here to stay now 
So I don't, I, look, I have a go at the puck fodder. That's all I'm saying. I think that could be an interesting way to settle it. I think what we have to finish up here with is talking about what this meant to Germany. I thought it was summed up pretty nicely by Lothar Matthäus talking in the press about the excitement he has to see his 84-year-old grandfather for the first time in 10 years uh, after German reunification. He says he's going to bring him the World Cup and he's going to get him to meet his wife and two kids, which is, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty nice. Germany, I mean, we talked about Argentina wanting to at least be in the final. I mean, you know, this is huge for Germany. Uh, Dave, you were, you were sort of talking to us off air about what, what part of um, German reunification we were at. I mean, it's, it's, am I right in saying it's essentially happening or about to happen or it's on the horizon? It was 1990 that they, they actually put it through, wasn't it? But the, it, it was obviously too early for the qualifying for this competition anyway because you could only enter a team from 1988 onwards. Yeah, politically, it's a fait accompli at this stage. I think possibly the currencies have merged at this stage and they're talking about how they're going to integrate the two parliaments. Um, obviously, that's going to disadvantage parties in East Germany because they're not going to get 5% nationally and all this kind of procedural stuff. So, yeah, um, at this stage, there's no indication of how and exactly when footballing reunification is going to happen. Um, West and East Germany, I think, have already been drawn in, in different groups in the Euro 92 qualifiers. And the assumption is that um, they'll go to the end of that cycle. But, um, yeah, that could all change. While you were wrapping up the game, I had a bit of a, a look around for um, possible nick- German nicknames for um, for Andreas Bremer, the, the, the left-back who uh, scores an unusual amount of goals. Uh, the best one I came up with was uh, Linksbanger. <laughs> Which means? Left-banger. <laughs> I also had, I had Linksabenturer. Left adventurer. Yeah. Le- left adventurer. Oh, that's good. That's, that's a football manager term if I've ever heard it. <laughs> Before we, we wrap up then, Turlock, uh, let's check in back home just to see if there's any, uh, any more unusual news here or there. Oh, he's up to any old tricks. I'm sure Hahi is up to many, many tricks, but we leave him at it. Um, Jack, meanwhile... There's been some speculation that he might have a big showdown with uh, Eamon Dunphy in the RT studio and he might come back to cover the final or the semi-finals, but RT can't find him. He's gone uh, entirely incognito. Um, he's, you know, camped out in the wilds of, of Yorkshire somewhere. Um, George so Roy Beans. Look, yeah, doesn't look like that's going to happen. Yeah, but in, in terms of entertainment news and stuff like that, uh, tonight, if you weren't glued to the, to the West Germany game, or to the extra time of the game, you could have tuned in for the Nelson Mandela concert or an RT1 featuring Christy Moore, uh, Dolores Keane, Chief, the Chieftains, fairly star-studded lineup for those who weren't into, into the L football. Um, rather, into Anua, were they? It may well have been, yeah. I'd rather be doing jury duty, to be honest. <laughs> ah, Christy Moore is all right. Well, Save your 50 quid and spend it on the Nelson Mandela concert. <laughs> Well, you certainly weren't spending it on the lottery because a lot of were complaining that they're down 200 grand because of the World Cup um, because people have better things to do than basically basically uh, piss away their, their hard-end money in the... In there's the probably, probably the 40,000 people who skipped out on jury duty. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, is, is this happening to the lottery? Is the lottery being discredited now because of penalty shootouts? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Anyways, talking about kind of divisive entertainment figures, 
Also tonight, Brendan Grace is opening for Frank Sinatra at the Docklands Theatre in London. Brendan Grace apparently wowed Frank Sinatra at the Horseshoe Bar after the RDS Horse Show, I think the year before, um, with a routine which involved him repeatedly pretending to mistake Frank for Perry Como, which would not have me <laughs> speechless with laughter, I must say, but obviously it worked on Frank. Um, and I think they it did remain very I good just heard about it. <laughs> also debuting tonight on Channel 4 at 10 o'clock for those looking for a laugh after, well, I suppose if you're Irish, you've already had your laugh, but for, for English fans, if you're, if you're looking to up your spirits, debuting is a sitcom about EU bureaucracy called The Gravy Train, which I'm only mentioning because it stars Alexi Sale, Ian Richardson, and future Hollywood superstar Christoph Waltz, who would have been more or less unknown at this time. Pretty interesting. Oh, one last thing. Um, fewer than 2% of, of the TV audience have tuned in to TNT's coverage of the World Cup in the US, and NBC have already said that they won't be bidding for coverage of the 1994 World Cup. Can I just say, Dave, I could see Christoph Waltz playing the role of left adventurer if they, if, if they would be cast in that role. There you go. We have our World Cup final for Italian 90, West Germany versus Argentina. We do have to do the third place playoff and we've sort of stayed away from some of the fallout of some of these games. So we're going to maybe touch on that as well to, to add out that third place playoff. It's been deflected and it's in the net. Bramer's shot. I'm sure that spell off Paul Parker and beat Peter Shilton. Repeating for offside. The Germans and they're in trouble. Alcantara couldn't do it. Lineker probably could. And England have equalised. It's Gary Lineker. So now Stuart Pearce, who's uh, done the job for Nottingham Forest, can he do it for England? Chris Waddle now.